Hey, welcome to the podcast. We have a great show for you today. We're gonna to start off with talking about Microsoft and why the new version of Windows seems to be putting ads when you're looking for your files. We're also gonna talk about a new video game company that says that they can help kids with ADHD. And we're gonna have a lot of health news. We're gonna talk about the new variant BA2. We're gonna talk about Pfizer's CEO saying a fourth shot may be necessary and some technology for seniors. All this and more is coming right up in the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch of Weekly News Show, where we ask the big questions on the week's tech science and medical news. I'm your host, Matt, and I'm joined each and every week by my good friend and co-host, Dr. Marty. Dr. Marty, it is officially feeling like spring here in Colorado. I hope that you're experiencing also some good weather in your neck of the woods. But more importantly, how was how was your week, my friend? Uh, the week's been all right. Our gas prices are what they are. Crazy, uh, crazy. <laughs> Six and seven dollars a gallon. Um, it is, yeah. It's 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 California prices. Uh, it's getting warmer out here. So both of those things together are really good reasons to be remotely working more often. Uh, so I've been enjoying that this past week, and my sound system is better today. If our listening audience can't tell, uh, recording is working better for both of us. So thank you to the technical gods for making that happen, and and. Uh, heads up that uh, we're on it and we are making sure that you have the best listening experience possible with one of the best sound editors slash engineers in the business, my friend, Matt. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I do the best I can with the tools that a free podcast will allow. Uh, no, well, no, that's good. That's good. That's getting more like it's uh, it's it's been in the 60s. Which for us here in Colorado, we are celebrating coming off of zero degree weather and in, in uh, where it's like single digits, and so no, we've been we've been really enjoying ourselves. But we we get sort of this like spring fever kind of thing where people are like I want to start planting stuff, I want to start working on the yard. We get a little a little crazy here, so uh, it's been calming down my my coworkers and neighbors ago. It's really nice. It's burning off the snow, but it's not quite time for us to start rolling out our vegetable gardens or things like that. But but it, it was a nice reprieve and makes for really nice walks in the neighborhood. And uh, uh, people are just kind of flourishing. Our moods are better. People are taking their dogs out a little bit more for you know for longer walks. And so yeah, it really has has changed the environment. We're washing our cars because people generally avoid that because it's getting snow all over. So so yeah, it, it, it's been you know it's been uh, quite uh, quite delightful. So. Uh, but uh, I, I, I like pointing out short sleeve shirts. Yeah, <laughs> but but this is this is not gonna be permanent. We know this about Colorado, that when March comes, uh, you then go through actual winter through April, and then maybe the first couple of weeks of May even you still get snow. Yeah, it does get ruined fairly quickly. So I, if we can squeeze out a couple of weeks of okay weather, then then uh, that works for us. But yeah, Colorado, the weather we just it changes so quickly, and so we we are expected to have some to, you know some rough weather. But there it's, are it's... three mini winters in Colorado. <laughs> that's how it works. You get three mini winters. Yeah, yeah. That's what's so such a like it 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 blows my mind that your seasons don't work on a normal kind of four scale, five scale like. Because you've got three within that range from November to May. Yeah. Uh, you have fall, winter, spring, winter, spring, winter, winter, summer. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's such a weird thing. And some of our worst snow events are usually in May. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's usually right before Mother's Day. You can have some really bad ones that, that shut down the city and cause all, kind of, uh, all kinds of ruckus here. But, you know, I'll take what I can get. It's been nice to open up some windows. It's been nice to be outside. Um, yeah. As a cigar smoker, and some of our, our listeners are smokers, we do enjoy a nice 50-degree weather where we can go outside and really enjoy ourselves. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, I do, it's been good. You know, for what it's worth, I still think it is a beautiful place to live. Um, but... It, you kind of have to understand how to roll with the punches of seasons as they as they progress in northern Colorado because they are just a bit different. And you need a good selection of coats. We often are shifting between yes. heavy coats, light coats. Yeah, our your our, our coat our coat and sweater game needs to be on point. So and the layers that you dress in, yeah. which I did like dressing in layers, is like you you really had to do a reveal after reveal after reveal. It's like you would go through the seasons in a day. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is so I just learned that you pack lots of coats in your car because you're never quite sure how the day's going to begin and how it's going to end. But 
Well, Marty, we have a lot of news to cover. Um, and, you know, I'm going to start off with uh, one of the big ones, and that is Microsoft. Uh, a lot of discussion this week around Windows 11. So if you are a Windows 10 user, you probably have received a little bit of that naggy screen that constantly pops up that says there is an update available for Windows 11. Very common. Almost all the operating systems that are out there are going to remind you to update to the latest operating system, and you want to do that. Um, you want to be running the latest OS that uh, has all those security updates and all those critical things that, that you need to work well. Um, some people, if their hardware is really old, they really can't. But for the most part, you want to keep your phones up to date. You want to keep your software up to date. And with this update for Windows 11, Microsoft has sort of hit a couple of bumps. And these bumps have been is a user interface change, which uh, it looks good. And uh, I, I think it's actually very Mac-like. It kind of puts all those taskbar things right in the middle. Um, and it, Yeah, and you could change it to the bottom left, which is a lot of what a lot of people prefer. Uh, but that interface has kind of gotten people a little bit like, ooh, this is this is different. And, and so uh, particularly in the enterprise sector where uh, people are, are not prone to change on the enterprise level, they kind of want their operating systems to look and feel the same way because they're using the same apps they've been using for a long time. So there's always a little bit of an adjustment when a new operating system comes out. But the, there's been some annoyances with how many um, sort of reminders people have gotten to upgrade to this OS. Um, it's also Windows 11 has come with some bugs. Agreed. Which, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about that annoyance. <laughs> <laughs> has it been bad on your end? <laughs> yes, um, it has been. But, um, you know, I think you said something that I wanted to go back to when you said you should usually update when you have them available. I was always under the impression, just because of historical precedent, that when a new Windows update come out comes out, you wait a bit to figure out what all the bugs are, because there are always a lot of bugs with a Windows update, or at least in my recent memory there are. And so then after that, after it's been out a month or two, then you do the update so that you're not part of the guinea pigging to be like, I don't know what happened. I can't access any of my files anymore. Or, you know, everything was fine. You know, that it's like the statement, I, everything was fine until I updated and then blah. Everything went to hell. Yeah, you know, I think when it comes to personal computers, um, so the, the rules are a little bit different from business and personal. I think with personal, it doesn't, if you are current up to whatever the new operating system version is, chances are you're, you're going to be okay. Um, back in the good old days, they used to say, wait until service pack one shows up, which that is usually the big update to the operating system that sort of patches a lot of big stuff. Uh, you know, if you're staying relatively current, you're running on a, on a semi-updated, like if you're just running on the version before, but you're keeping it very up to date, you're making sure kind of all those good digital steps are, are taken. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt. Uh, right now with sort of the security climate that's out there, I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards keeping your stuff more up to date, um, particularly in, and I think it's with phones, it's with tablets, it's with inner range of devices. You really want to avoid... Uh, running stuff that that's older or a couple versions behind because these companies, you know, some of them are patching and keeping things up to date, but you're going to see typically more security updates and, and more advances and more holes being patched um, in the more modern stuff. Now, not always. There's usually there can be some security holes out there, but uh, generally on the personal computers, I, I recommend it's like for the average user using you know pretty you know pretty easy stuff, an upgrade won't be too bad, but um, you know, but you can always kind of pursue with caution. I think waiting a month or two is it's not gonna not gonna hurt you. Now, in the business world, um, these these big updates uh, really do need some testing, um, and you know your IT shop should be doing some some good due diligence stuff. Uh, if you're an organization that's using a lot of stuff that's in the cloud and you're using pretty up to date stuff, an operating system like this probably won't cause too much issue. But in our, you know, in the government sector or not-for-profit sector or those areas where you might be using some pretty old software, um, they're going to have to do a lot of testing to make sure that it's going to work. Because sometimes some older applications do not port over well to a new operating system until your software vendor or your hardware vendor or whatever you're using releases some patches to kind of accommodate some of that, some of that old stuff. So upgrade carefully, but just kind of keep in mind, we're in rough security climate right now. Um, the routine stuff we were all dealing with, yeah, was bad, but also uh, there is still a lot of concern with the current conflict in, in the Ukraine. We're in a heightened level of security. And so um, generally, you know, uh, you, you know, you can wait, but but I would say, I would say try, try, try to be extra security, uh, you know, you know, aware at this point. 
Um, but but always a good question. Uh, and you can always write the show. Like if you're thinking, hey, I'm a little bit on the edge on, on this upgrade or, or what do you think? Or you have a specific tech question, please let us know. You know, ha- you know happy to talk through some of that stuff on the show. But um, this upgrade, while, you know, big user interface changes, um, some security updates, some things like that. We saw we saw Microsoft do some beta testing and, and reviews were coming back. That, that, that was pretty positive. Um, there's been a little bit of issue around ads. And so what some users have noticed is, is in File Explorer, so sort of the main hub where you're clicking around and you're trying to find your files. This has been around since Windows 95. Uh, a lot of early iterations of Windows. This is sort of where you're you're working, right? You're you're accessing my documents, my pictures, and all those things. Microsoft is injecting some ads into this space, and users are not really happy about it. And um, so some users have have seen some of these ads, and and really it's it's mixing two flavors of things that people do not like. I mean, this is like um, you know you know asparagus and vanilla ice cream. This doesn't taste good to the users right now, um, and be, because you know people are used to ads on the on the internet, they're used to ads when they're doing their Google search. Um, but when it comes to sort of building into your operating system, you know whether it is if you're in the Mac OS or you're in File Explorer or you're in your Windows environment, um, it's a little unusual to just sort of see an ad coming out of nowhere. And so and so this week. Um, you know, Microsoft c- kind of came under fire and there was some, there were some things, you know, things going back and forth on Twitter and on social media, really questioning this decision to have ads in this space. Now, a lot of businesses out there are really trying to figure out how to squeeze money out of everywhere they can. And, and the operating system world is no different. They are trying to figure out ways to get some eyeballs and, and to market some uh, products to you. And, and Microsoft, like every other company, is trying to market you know, you know, different products that they have there. But this sort of crossed the line for people, for them to kind of see this in, you know, they, they, they were asked to upgrade, they upgraded to Windows 11, and now they're seeing ads in a space where they, where they typically haven't seen it. Um, I can't think of anything besides some phones running the Android operating system where you've sort of seen different ads, but it hasn't been quite like this. And so right now the industry is trying to figure out, it's like, is this going to be the new thing? Are we going to see, you know, people that are Mac users or we're going to see maybe in the Chrome OS or, or in these other ones where we're going to see ads sort of injected in places where we haven't seen it before? Um, it's sort of the question. And I think for the enterprise environment, um, you know, enterprise or business, uh, they're also asking some questions as well because they they don't want their workforce necessarily seeing ads because the organization can't control necessarily what ads are being presented to their employees. And so it's kind of getting into to this very weird spot. And so so this week, um, a lot of input was shared with Windows. And um, they even said this week that they were like, well, some of those ads were not meant to be seen by people externally. I believe that Ars Technica was uh, reporting on the story this week. And so um, I I personally don't like the idea of my operating system sending me ads because I see so many ads. I get spammed email. I see it on social media. I see it everywhere that I that I go. So when I'm just you know typing up a document and I'm and I'm trying to find something in my documents. I don't really want to see an ad, but. The, the business climate is shifting and we're, we're seeing sort of people trying to squeeze some extra money out of it. And operating systems don't usually have a ton of money to be made out of them. So, uh, but Marty, with, with this, where people are striving for ad dollars, Microsoft is a, is a massive company. They're squeezing money out of every sector. Um, if you updated your, your laptop and started seeing ads, you know, in, as you're searching for, for my documents, how, how would you feel about that? Uncomfortable. I feel like there's there's a difference between when maybe I'm wrong here, but you feel like there's a difference between when you're actually online and browsing an internet, you know, site and there's a pop-up ad or there's something along those lines that you're like, "Okay, it's par for the course. I'm on CNN. This happens." Or I'm on uh, you know, whatever other news site or, you know, ESPN or um, Vanity Fair or whatever it is, you're looking at New Yorker. But then, you know, if you actually are on that sacred turf, which is your own stuff, that makes me uncomfortable because then I feel violated. And maybe this is just me, but I would be, I, I would be unhappy that you should be in my file space. That's my space. If I'm going, no pun intended, but if you're going into, you know, a, a basic search uh, history through Google or, you know, if it's based on your interests that you you kind of know what the deal is with cookies and targeted advertising and all these other things, then you've had a historical relationship where you know what you're doing is being tracked. And, and that's part of the deal. 
that to me is a lot more acceptable because that was what you signed up for. So um, I, I think also, and I haven't downloaded it yet, um, we all know that you do have to update eventually to a new uh, operating system. Everybody does. And you're given a ton of small print. And the only way through the screen during the update is to hit the I agree, and then you go on. I mean, how, how many people really are going to say, I actually don't agree with this, but I'd still like the operating system. I mean, like, what are your options at that point? So I kind of feel like that's, it's, it's got a power differential in what you have to do in order to keep using the system. And we're on edge. Yes, we are all aware that um, there's uh, heightened concerns around security. I think it's in poor form for Windows to do this. Yeah, I would agree. And, and you make a good point is there is for a lot of the operating systems, you know, we, we do have some folks that are running on Chrome, on, on Google, on the Google Chrome operating system where they're basically in the cloud all the time. Um, but then you have like you and I, it's like whether you're running on Windows or you're running on Mac OS, we sort of uh, feel that, you know, most users is like those documents are sacred. Those photos that are sitting on my hard drive, I own this computer. It is not, I'm not surfing the web. Um, it's, it's all here. This is my private space. And to see ads coming in, um, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies will say, you know, we're not spying on you. We're, we're, you know, we're not, we're not looking in on, on your documents, but it feels intrusive. I mean, it feels like you're coming into my space. Um, I know that like, you know, a lot of people are, are, are bringing their own devices to work. So their laptops contain, you know, personal stuff. They also contain, uh, typically confidential work files. And so seeing an ad that sort of just pops up as you're trying to, you know, find that report or you're trying to find that particular document, uh, it makes you feel uneasy. And so, so I think a lot of users when they were seeing it was like, was like, what is this, you know? And also, you know, some question there around, you know, is, is Microsoft still thinking about the enterprise? Are they thinking that Windows computers are in clinical environments, they're in legal environments, they're, they're everywhere. And so they, they play this very large role in the enterprise and sort of sliding ads inside there is, is not good. Um, we've seen manufacturers like Lenovo who, uh, you know, distributes a lot of computers internationally and they were caught essentially taking, um, as people were surfing the internet, they, they were essentially intercepting that and kind of marketing, uh, taking that data and, and using it for marketing, advertising, sort of, sort of selling that data. And the people did not respond well because they're like, you're spying on our traffic. Do you have any idea how these computers are being used? So, so I think that I think this was a bad move uh, for Microsoft, and I really hope that they walk it back. I think that we generally expect from our operating system to, you know, we're invested in it. You know, whether we pay for the operating system or not, but I think that we feel like this is a private space, and in having ads kind of pop up while we're searching for that file or, or trying to track down that photo is is just is just really in, in bad form. Yep. And, and if you're sick of seeing ads, then you can always just stop browsing. Like, you know what? I'm just going to turn on my, my, my music collection, or I'm just going to, you know, assuming that it's not all streaming on Spotify or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you could privatize again, and you have that choice, but you don't have that choice when you're going through File Explorer. So, yeah, yeah I'm disappointed. Yeah. That's what I am. Yeah, so so yeah, and we're hoping that Microsoft is going to walk back. You know, a bunch of feedback this week, and so really hoping that they're going to make some changes on there. And you know, you know, in regards to this ad. Now, um, another industry that I think is continuing to, particularly during COVID, it was already a big industry, is the video game industry. So there was some interesting news that came out of uh, the video game world. Um, for those of you that don't play a lot of video games, this is an industry that has surpassed movies. I mean, these budgets for these video games are getting massive. Uh, they're it getting... takes a minute to register that for those of us that are from a particular yeah. generation when box office was the biggest <laughs> metric that you yeah. can think of. Because um, I have to sit with that for a second and be like, what? Yeah. Video games? Yeah, video games, the manpower that it takes to develop them and get them out and, and advertise. But um, we've seen an evolution uh, for, you know, for when Marty and I were playing video games. Um, and it is not saying that back in the day, video games weren't complicated and hard to produce. I mean, but when the Nintendo came out and we played Super Mario Brothers, you know, that, that was significant for our generation. And then, you know, you know, we had Doom, we had Quake, we had a lot of these things to sort of redefine the video game genre. And then now we are seeing where it's like these video game shops are building massive environments that are um, have stories and characters that, that people care about. 
And then, you know, we have people who are playing online in these big multiplayer environments that are changing and shifting. And uh, people are now having concerts in these, uh, like Fortnite, they're having, you know, concerts come in. And um, we're just seeing this industry become bigger and bigger. And now with virtual reality, we have companies like like Meta, um, you know, which they were formerly Facebook, um, investing in virtual reality. We have big hardware companies that are also thinking AR and VR. And video games and the industry around video games pushes technology um, and the entertainment industry in, in general always pushes tech uh, you know, to get higher definition, faster speeds, those type of things. So we've kind of seen this trend coming. And a couple of interesting things that have, have emerged, I know, with virtual reality and with other games is, can video games be used for something other than entertainment? So some of these things were a little scammy. You know, I don't know if... Uh, uh, Marty, if you remember, but for a while there was play this game and it'll help with your uh, neural elasticity. You can be able to get um, better memory. Sure. Yeah. 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 And people were signing up for these games because they were like, if you do this, we're, we we guarantee that your memory will become better. And we've seen scams out there, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it was about neuroplasticity. What was the name of that game that that... You know, you had people that were coming off the street and who were explaining neuroplasticity to you as if they understood. There's been a couple. There, there was one that was particularly bad. Um, I, I might have to look it up on the break, but yeah, there was one that was being marketed, and it it was they like got in trouble. Yeah, they got in trouble for that. Yeah, 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 because they because they were making a lot of guarantees around like um, it was, and I and I think some of their claims was we we worked with people in the medical field to develop this, and you were guaranteed to. And even I had coworkers who were like, "I'm a level 17, and you know my, my memory couldn't be better." And it was like, mm, it did it it didn't pan out. Um, but we we've had claims like this, uh, you know, before around around games being used for, uh, you know, people are saying if you play this game, you're you're, you're going to get better. And I think for for some people, I know that uh, there there was some work around this where it did help for some people's memory to be able to kind of sure. work through these different scenarios and play through something. And there there was some work with like seniors where um, if they're playing, you know, things to help sharpen and, and kind of keep them, you know, entertained in different scenarios that they had to work through. So we have seen some positive things in there. We've also seen the video game industry who has said. Um, as we are working through some of these environments and we're trying to create these virtual worlds, how does this work? How are people processing it with virtual reality? We don't want to make people sick. We want to make them more. more. So a lot of work is going into making games better, more realistic. Um, one of the things is, uh, are you familiar with a... Um, are you, are you familiar with the Hellblade series by any chance, Marty? Nope, you are nerdier than I am. <laughs> well, in in the in the Hell in in the actual the Hellblade series, which is a series of video games, very well done, very, very well produced video games. Uh, there was a video game called Sonos Sacrifice, and I'm I'm most likely I'm mispronouncing it, uh, but it's spelled S-E-N-U-A and apostrophe S. Sonos Sacrifice. Um, and, and it's this very immersive game. It's it's available in VR, but a lot of people were using the console where they actually talk to people in the industry of um, psychiatry because they wanted people to get a sense of people who have schizophrenia. So they wanted to replicate this environment in, in the game world. And it was actually very well received because they really wanted to do it well. They had people who kind of went into this immersive environment. And it's not a video game that's really negative. It's this character that's going through this experience um, and, and, you're, and you're kind of experiencing what this environment looks like. So these games are becoming very, very realistic. And uh, we we have folks that are, have been saying, how can this platform be, be leveraged to either tell stories or create these immersive environments? And so... We've just continued to see sort of this this growing work that's out there. And a company by the name of Deepwell uh, this week came out and they received approval for uh, their game to actually be prescribed. Um, and so they, they actually went through the FDA process and they were saying, you know, um, we have a game that can help uh, therapeutically uh, with people who are dealing with ADHD. And so they've developed this video game. It was validated by, uh, by the FDA uh, for them to you know, proceed with treatment. And so this has been a vetted video game that they're saying there is some real possibilities out there for therapeutic work through the use of video games. And so this is a new interesting dimension when it comes to um, leveraging video game technology like um, that we haven't seen before. So I think this is a very sort of compelling thing. 
Um, I, I don't know yet if, if virtual reality is a part of it, uh, but this is an emerging field and it's leveraging these, you know, these technologies and the way that we use games. Video game designers were already trying to figure out new immersive environments and things to scare you or to entertain you or those type of things. But it's interesting that that Deepwell is taking a sort of a different different uh, position on this and saying, can we develop sort of a video game that can help people? Let's make sure that um, there is some scrutiny and there is some work on this. And so I think that if it's, you know, right now they're saying that they are really wanting to develop tools to, you know, to work through, you know, depression, ADHD. Um, I know that there were some video game developers who were like, can we can we develop video games that can help with people that have like PTSD and, and those and those type of things. So um, it's interesting to see where this thing is going um, and as more patients start getting it. But it's interesting that, um, you know, Mario, I'm sure that, you know, you, your parents probably say the thing. He's like, you're, you're never going to do anything with video games. You're never going to make a career out of video games. It's never going to help anybody. When uh, we were kids, yeah. Yeah. And now, now people have careers around video games, reviewing video games, playing them. Uh, but now it's interesting to kind of see, you know, you know, video games being able to to help other people. So, uh, but Marty, as, as a person who who has spent a lot of time with the brain, um, what do you think about this sort of emerging field in, in Deepwell going through a lot of work and saying that we might be able to help people through the use of video games? Well, I'm curious. I mean, I think the capacity to do certain certain conditions uh with with kind of like a vr or or a, a kind of training that you do through video games could certainly be helpful um but you're always going to run the risk of like the the name of that of that game was called lumosity um the the you're always going to run the risk that it actually isn't there to um work toward a particular individual's case um so it, I guess the same could be said for pharmacology. Like if you're taking a pill, it's not going to work the same for everybody, but they've got clinical trials for these kinds of things. And they're going to have to do that kind of work to establish that this is actually really um, intended for the, the ADHD use. Um, I think it's probably more of a long-term solution than a lot of medications are because um, a lot of times medications get messy with other kinds of side effects. Uh, this kind of stuff, not necessarily. Uh, and, you know, for certain conditions, it's probably, it, it, it's probably sensical. Um, my big concern is that they actually understand the condition by, that they're trying to treat. So when you mentioned before, there was a game for schizophrenia, schizophrenia can look really different. I mean, it's, there's so many versions of schizophrenia. There's, there's, you know, with delusions, without, where you're non-responsive, like, it's like, different classifications. I mean, it's a heterogeneous disorder. And so, and, and it's a diagnosis that often gets mixed up with other diagnoses. And to have the relationship with a clinician who can monitor your progress on something is no substitute from a video game. Like you, you can't do that. You have to maintain that to be monitoring and figure out because there is an imperfection to the diagnosis and to see how you do with the different kinds of treatments. And it's a, it's a bit of a give and take to figure out what's best for you. And so um, if it's not done well, like you can't make a blanket statement, like I think I might have ADHD, I'm going to play a video game. Like if you really are diagnosed with ADHD, um, then work with someone, work with uh, uh, some kind of therapist, work with some kind of clinician uh, who can say like, actually, this is, you know, here's your plan for improvement. Let's monitor. Let's see if it's actually helping. I, I think that it's cool that we live in a time when you have this as a new option. Um, another word of caution is that for a long time, we thought when video games came out that education was going to be turned on its head because everybody was going to be playing education based games because you'd learn so much more in an interactive way. And I'm not sure the great strides that we've made. And I mean, there's there's certainly education technology, but I don't think that we've actually seen the gaming potential be realized in the educational setting yet, where that's just normal to, to assume that you'll do that. So if this is in any way like the the the, uh, the, the uh, education world, then health then health might not be as as quick to adopt, you know, this full potential of what it could possibly mean for a brave new world. So I'm, I'm, I'm all about putting the brakes on. That's yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that it'll be interesting. And, and yeah, Hellblade and that sauna's revenge was, was more of an attempt to try to give people an idea of, 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 of what schizophrenia is like. I think, you know, with, with this game, um, it would be by prescription. And, and I think they're, they're targeting, 
uh, young people with ADHD. And, and yeah, you're right. It's it's very different in, in you know compared to you know medications or those type of things. So so yeah, I think it's it's intent to be work that complements work that you're you know you're doing with a professional. Um, I think this idea around digital therapeutics. Uh, particularly on the heels of COVID, is going to be sort of an interesting thing. Um, and yes, something that while it looks really good and it looks pretty interesting, it's, you know, we're going to see where it goes. And I think that while virtual reality and the metaverse and augmented reality are all really great things we're thinking about from an entertainment perspective and, and from a productivity perspective, I, I think it's it's good that we are thinking, you know, can this help people um, mm-hmm. you know, through, you know, through a, a range of different things. And, and so, so yeah, so it, it made me very hopeful for the future to think about like, hey, this could be used for more than entertainment. It could be used for more than, than just socializing. Uh, or, you know, I think we've talked about this before. It's like, there are some people that aren't physically able to participate in, in certain activities. Exactly. And this idea that virtual reality could, could go there, or if, if, if you're not quite sure what a particular experience is like, if a video game company or or some of these companies that are developing these these universes could say we can give you some idea of what it's like to go through this or or if you're venturing through you know someplace that not a lot of people can have access to or, or have a lot of insight into um, I think I think it's very compelling and so so again I mean I, I've been trying to find some positive stories so I thought that this is going to be sort of a you know you know sort of an interesting uh, positive story coming out of it but uh, but yeah but uh, having a video game prescribed by your doctor is certainly something that uh, I, I, I was wishing for as a kid, the, the idea of a doctor right. giving me Brave a prescription. New world. So. Brave new world. All right. With that, we are going to hear a word from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimming suit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda Dry Bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. And we are back from our break. Hopefully you were thinking about improving your mental health and or whatever kind of therapeutic condition that you have or you were using synaptic plasticity or neuroplasticity to improve your memory with some other games like Lumosity. But I did want to bring up that Lumosity game one more time because um, we are in an era of a lot of, of reports of concerns around cognitive impairment through aging and Alzheimer's disease. Uh, this is something that if, if you remember, Matt, when we were getting older, they were like, well, if you want a career, go into something that is focused on aging, like gerontology, or because there's going to be a, a population that's heavy on the boomer side. And so you're going to have a lot of aging population. They're going to need specialty clinicians. They're going to specialty uh, products for that. Like, let's, let's think of that way. And of course, we didn't. Um, we all decided to be smarter than that and go into our own thing. Uh, but it actually is a concern because you have more and more people that are coming down with age-related cognitive declines, and some that are not necessarily um, specifically because of age. And this brings about some curiosity. Um, I have to add in an additional ingredient to this mess, and that's um, there are advocacy groups like the Alzheimer's Association, and there are regulatory groups like the FDA, and there are insurance and government groups like Medicare. And all of them working in this area of, of cognitive impairment with aging are kind of in the middle of a, a kerfuffle on the field. Uh, if you remember correctly, it was probably during our hot geek summer where we had a few members of the FDA resign after they had okayed uh, a new Alzheimer's drug to, so, so it was, it was green lighted, green lighted, do I speak well? Green lit um, for approval. 
to go forward and be used as a treatment for Alzheimer's disease with very, very wishy-washy data. It was not strong data. Um, and since then, a number of studies have come out that have even made that data more questionable and people had said, I'm not sure that this is right. And there's kind of been the breaks applied and Medicare has not gone ahead and said that we will reimburse, uh, we will not pay for this prescription if it is used because we're not convinced. Well, that puts a big old stop on, I think the company was Biogen who tried um, getting that through. And so there are still people who are not having the, you know, the newest treatments for something related to Alzheimer's disease. So the Alzheimer's Association, which is an advocacy group, um, had released a study recently that said about 6.5 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease and more than one in 10 older adults have early stage memory or cognitive problems. So what does that translate to more specifically? In the report, they said that between 12 and 18% of adults 60 and older have what they deemed mild cognitive impairment. Uh, now this gets into some like shaky territory because for those that have, have uh, an aging relative or who are aging themselves and kind of memory loss takes place. You forgot where you put the keys. You forgot the middle of the conversation, what you were talking about. Sometimes it happens because of exhaustion. Sometimes because there's too many things going on. Sometimes you're just tired. I mean, like it, there are lots of reasons, but, or you, you'd forget. I mean, there's a lot on your plate, um, but it can happen more and more as we get older. And clinicians oftentimes have trouble discerning whether or not what their patients are experiencing is normal aging or is actually signs of something, of, of some kind of cognitive decline through aging. And a lot of people, when they do have Alzheimer's disease and when they have advanced stages of Alzheimer's disease, have never actually formally been diagnosed with it because they're not, you know, it's, it's relatively recent actually that you could do a spinal tap and start to look for some of the clinical markers of what Alzheimer's disease looks like. So why is this report coming out? Why is this of interest? Well, there's a political interest and this was reported in USA Today as well. Um, and that's, there's a push to have some of these Alzheimer drugs made available again to the public through a Medicare passing of its reimbursement of that Biogen drug that did not, that did not fare so well in the end. And the idea is that if we push the impetus and the need, because there's an aging population and there's lots of cognitive decline and there is a need for it now, it might, it might, uh, outweigh the the not so great gains that this new drug promises although they do promise some gains or it's not promising it's suggesting some gains and there are a number of other drug companies that have drugs coming down the pipeline and it's trying to to kind of prime that pump so that it's an easier time for that those new drugs to get passed approved through the fda and then for reimbursement through medicare so that it can be prescribed at large. Because on the other side of it, you know, people are suffering and families are suffering when people have this. And I certainly know individuals who are working with, you know, their, their aging parents now, uh, who they are showing signs of cognitive decline. The physicians that they go to have never tested the relatives, even though um, there's been a conversation topic, because in some ways physicians, especially general practice physicians, aren't trained to talk about, well, how are you paying your taxes or your bills? Or how are you making sure that you can get around at night when you've forgotten how to go home? Or how are you like doing things that are more lifestyle related? And I'm not sure if there's a lot of occupational therapy that goes in this route or, I mean, again, there's kind of a brave new world of what aging is going to look like with a very top heavy population that is going to be going into uh, more services required and more kinds of treatments that are available. And we're just not entirely prepared for it. And so I think what we're seeing now is the rumblings of it, and we're going to see more of it. Yeah, and I think it's been, you know, this topic around, you know, this this big generation that that is now retired and sort of the investment in um, things to help support them. I, I, I think it's it's certainly, in the tech space has been interesting to watch this, you know, this evolution. Um, some people believe that some advances in the in the land of technology is so that the, you know, seniors are more empowered, they have better tools, they have technology that, that can kind of assist them. Um, I know that, you know, some, some folks who, who sort of work in the memory loss space, 
um, have been really looking for technology that can kind of help with monitoring seniors um, to make sure that that certain things are getting done. Um, sort of in the area around robotics, uh, one issue that that I know I was I, I was uh, you know listening in on was around around simple things around like um, sort of this idea around seniors checking in and making sure that they're good uh, to tools that that monitor their medication intake and, and where where some of these systems can say hey you know um, you need to take exactly this at exactly this moment just in case there is um, some sort of lapse um, you know in the areas of around um, even things like vehicle automation around you know is there is there some sort of support system built into the car where it's like if 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 somebody gets lost how, how does it kind of get them back on track or be able to kind of bring them somewhere where it can be like um, push this button and somebody will be notified and in, in, in those type of areas so um, I just have seen a lot of really interesting things kind of kind of come out of this space I think you and I talked about bladder sensors which was sort of interesting too around um, you know trying to help help folks in a, in a wide range so um, but I think the story is, is curious to me. It's so this medication that that was sort of fast tracked. Was it effective for anyone? What's sort of your take on this? As far as um, it, it sounds like they're still trying to jam it through, even though the results weren't that great. Yeah, we're gonna have to go back and look at. Um, we reported on this before, and a lot of the results, if I remember correctly, were you know for. A small population of people, they reported some kind of improvement to a low level. Uh, and it is it is different in different people. And it probably does have therapeutic potential in some individuals. They probably need to break it down a little more to understand who their population is. And it might be more helpful for some kinds of people rather than others. Um, and I know that they had done... I mean, one of the more uh, damning things of these studies was that early on, they were trying to present it with the initial clinical data... And then when they got more clinical data, it made it look worse. It made it look less effective. Uh, and so it was really kind of like a lot of drugs have a little bit of potential for a lot of people. But in order for the FDA to back it and for insurance to reimburse it, it has to meet a specific threshold. And it wasn't hitting that threshold. It was like, yeah, I don't know, especially if there's others coming down the pipeline. And I mean, and it's based on this idea that it's, I think, the amyloid beta plaques that cause Alzheimer's disease. So if you can block those plaques through monoclonal antibodies, then you should be able to prevent the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease or the progression of Alzheimer's disease. But there's some weirdness there because some some preclinical data, some data that, that they've been working on for a while is shown that sometimes you can have Alzheimer's-like symptoms without those plaques. Uh, and there are other certain cognitive declines and other kinds of, of pathologies that people can get. Sometimes Alzheimer's can happen. There's there's this big debate if it happens between what's called a amyloid beta plaques or neurofibrillary tangles. And they're, they're just in the research world, and it's been a little while since I, I paid close attention to this, but in the research world, there was like a battle between them of which is really causing the Alzheimer's disease. Sometimes there would be evidence to support one versus the other, and sometimes it was unclear. So it, it takes the the plaque base as, as what's causing the Alzheimer's disease, and it's going with that as a treatment base, and yet the clinical outcome isn't that impressive. And so, so that altogether is kind of like, well, maybe this isn't enough um, to really warrant a treatment that we support. So I, I, I think it's... Remember how we said that there's also a different environment right now with, with testing of things, given that COVID happened? So because of that different environment, there's also a momentum of pushing things through in a way that it's not that they weren't rigorous, it's just it happened much more speedily. And this is one where I think the, the regulatory bodies rightly should say, uh, that's not enough for our standards. That's we, we need yeah. better than that in order, and because we have to maintain that faster isn't necessarily less less rigorous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's and we trust the FDA, right? Like when when medication is is tested and they put it out there. We're assuming, and I think particularly for any of us that have aging family members, if this medication is prescribed, it's like we hope it's going to be effective, and we hope it's been vetted. Um, you know, you know, through you know, through multiple channels, and so uh, if medications be prescribed, it, it's really not doing anything. It's like that that can be really rough on families and in the patients who are really hoping for some positive results. Yeah, and there's you know possible side effects, and I mean there's there's 
there's a, there's a lot there that you have to be careful about that, you know, it, in addition to the safety that you have to make sure that you test for, it's, it's got to be effective. Otherwise, it's not, it's not worth anybody's time. And heck, in that way, Lumosity would probably be more effective, um, or at least doing things that are behaviorally based in routines. You did mention something else earlier that is, is worth coming back to, is that a lot, for a long time, technology has, has been thought of this potential great frontier for treating an aging population that with technology assists that you have AR, VR for um, basic, uh, you know, kind of communication and social needs, that you have assistance in terms of memory loss for when you should take something or directions to go in, and that you have an aid with you in the form of technology and, and the AI that can learn your habits and, and know how to correct for them. Um, I think that's very much there and is becoming very much more real. And so this is another one of those spaces where um, in terms of an aging population, we are going to see more tech and biomed uh, more more closely reported and more closely integrated uh, because it's it's one of those places of great need. And you have two resolutions that are coming in different packages. You've got the tech base and you've got the pharmaceutical base, and they're they're going to speak to each other a bit more. Yeah, and I think we even talked about, you know, digital assistants, you know, like the Amazon Alexas and, and the Google Homes, you know, the as, you know, as our generation moves into the retirement sphere, we have a lot more tech. We have things that are monitoring, you know, we have smart things on our doors, we have um, smart smoke detectors and carbon dioxide detectors. So I think with an aging pilot, it's like, well, if I'm having trouble remembering things, these smart assistants are getting better at, at reminding us. Um, if you're worried about, it's like, I, I can't smell as well as I used to, you know, we now have the technology that, well, it, it can detect these things and, and can alert folks. And even from, you know, we kind of talked about that, that with these digital assistants, if you are facing really bad arthritis, something that you can talk to that can turn something on or dial a phone number or do something for you, I mean, is really compelling technology. And I think, um, would love love when technology is is supporting a population and and making sure that they have access into things. I think is is really interesting. Yeah, and it's going to require the right kind of design and implementation, really, because you can have in theory something that works really well. But I mean, we also know that in an aging population, a lot of the problem with all these smartphones is that they're they're too complicated and they're you know too hard to read and they're um, too sensitive and they're too like there there were things that weren't designed for. Um, people who would actually get that technology benefit. And there's that generational difference that we grew up with Nintendo, even though, you know, or an Apple IIGS or whatever it was that we came from, uh, that it was different in setting our worldviews and our relationships with technology. And while a lot of people in this generation now that is aging, um, I mean, we're, we're in the middle age category about one of us is. Watch uh, your mouth, it, watch your mouth. <laughs> One of us acts like they're beyond middle age. Um, the other of us acts like we're squarely in it. Uh, and, and for the record, I'm younger. I just want everyone, all the listeners, to to, rem- <laughs> to remind themselves that I am the younger the younger host on this one. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. I'm the kid. I'm the kid in this show. You are a youngin. But but I do think that um, there are some imprintings that we've had um, and during critical periods that make us have a different relationship with learning technology and developing new relationships with technology that people in, uh, in a more advanced age category didn't have. And so some do on their own, and that's great because they, they took it upon themselves. But even myself now, like if there's new technology that I don't understand at all and it's not in this kind of relationship with, with what I already know, yeah, it'll be challenging if I have to use that and what's built upon it in the next 50 years because I'm not going to be prepared for that. Uh, but, you know, for right now, I think that, as you mentioned, we are of a generation that will probably pair ourselves with a lot of assistive technology because um, we already do. We can't seem to turn on the lights on our own without clapping. We've got to do this in um, some kind of command, and I'm not going to say her name, um, to, to aid us in our everyday. And that that I'm not a big user of Internet of Things, but I also respect it and know how to use it. Uh, I, th- I think that's different. Yeah, and I think it would be great to see more technology that has seniors in mind. I just my my grandparents. I remember when we they were having a lot of issues with their with their landline telephone, and we found a vendor that made more um, 
better telephone equipment for seniors. And I just remember it was such kind of a, it was a cool moment when they saw tech, when, when we installed this phone for my grandparents where they're like, this was made for me. Like there was a personal connection to this device. And, and the way the phone was set up is the buttons were much larger. Um, it was much easier to see. You could see who was calling in. The display was bigger. And I said they were blown away by speakerphone that they didn't actually even have to pick up the receiver. They could just push a button and, and the speakerphone's actually. Oh, I was blown away by speakerphone. Yeah. Just got to use that, and 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 I and I just remember very vividly when we put it in, and then the fact that the nine one one button was red and and poison control was green. There was two two big buttons, and it took some like fear away because they had seen these smaller you know cordless phones, and they were like it's hard to see, and they were like in an emergency, how do I how do I use this? Because it's very difficult. It was like. Now they had a piece of technology that it worked. It was, it, it was, and it was, I just remember like it blew their mind. It's like, you can push this button if you get, if you run an emergency and you don't even have to pick up the phone, you can just talk to them. They're like, this was phenomenal. And so I think that I really would like to see more of this become more accessible, you know, you know, to our aging population. Cause I think it's, it really helps when it's designed with them in mind. Mm-hmm. I absolutely do too. So um, keep an eye out. I think this is one of our new frontiers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's well worth the investment because I think that, that there's a great need that's, that's coming down the pike and, and we should be there to, to understand both on the, on the more biomedical pharmaceutical side, but also in um, on other ways, whether it be a, you know, a video game or an app or if it's assistive technologies. Ah, Matt, there are other news stories. However, I feel like we are in need of bum, bum, bum the COVID corner today, because we have been ignoring it while the world is turning. And what's new in our favorite segment of the show? Um, is it your favorite segment of the show? Uh, I think it's really well, helpful because there's lots of bad information out there. And so I, I, I find it interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Okay. So you know that I told you so moments um, that I often say. Yes, yes, um, yeah. I don't know if it provides anything for me, actually, because I am a grumpy old man. Uh, and saying I told you so with COVID is not useful. But a few episodes ago, I did say that there will be another wave. Um, and we're starting to see the rumblings of a new wave starting in Europe. Uh, so while the news is riddled with the stories of the lockdown policies in the zero tolerance countries like China, um, the more concerning data, because they're dealing with Omicron for the first time. So that's the expectation that when we're doing the giant wave in the baseball stadium of the globe, that it is now China's take on this. And a lot of countries that had avoided it before are getting that Omicron wave that we had in December and January. But but differently, um, there are there is one major wave that's starting to hit in Europe right now um, where most of these public health measures of, you know, quarantining for five days if you've been sick, wearing a mask in public spaces, yada, 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 we all know them. And, you know, in the United States, they've become much more relaxed as of late as well. Um, but in, in the UK, I think that cases rose almost 50% in a very short amount of time. And how they're rising is with the BA2 variant of, of, of COVID, which the BA2 refers to the Omicron. Omicron was BA1, but there are additional mutations and it is different enough again from Omicron. And as infectious as Omicron was, as contagious as it was, BA2 is way more contagious. And so the spread is hugely fast. And it is going through some European countries right now. It's kind of hinting because it never just stays in Europe. It's never just stayed in Europe. It has found its way to the United States, usually by about three to four to five weeks, somewhere in that range afterward, where we start to get it again. Um, there's some kind of lag that takes place. And so the big cities, even though our hospitalizations and our case numbers are all dropping wonderfully, beautifully well, um, we are eyeing this rise in um, cases in Europe and thinking, because this is also a BA2 and not just an Omicron variant, then what does this mean for us? So when you hear this, Matt, what are your initial thoughts? 
Well, what's going to be the new catchy name? Have they have they named this one yet? I mean, most of us call it BA2. Okay. Uh, I can imagine they might call it Omicron 2 um, because it is, it's based on the Omicron variant. Uh, there is another variant that's worth talking about, and uh, it is a little confusing. So there's another variant called, ready for this? Deltacron. And Deltacron is a variant that mutated differently than the mutation in um, Omicron. In fact, it went through a process called recombination between the Delta variant and the Omicron variant. So if you remember, which I'm sure you don't, um, in a process in biology, you're learning about mitosis and meiosis. You, I, do you remember when you draw out all the chromosomes together and you're seeing you know, how you get DNA from one parent toward the DNA, toward the, the daughter cell, you know, it goes to, oh, the, yeah. to the kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's called recombination. It literally, like, you know, the chromosomes wrap around each other and a big line of genetic code will go from one to the other uh, so that you have a new version of, of DNA that combines mom and dad stuff in kid. Uh, what ends up happening with, um, so, so yeah, so, so moms and dads chromosomes look different rather um, so that they don't have all the same, but whatever they inherited gets recombined so that from their mom and dad is on one kind of cell arranged one way and then on another cell arranged another way. Well, um, viruses and can do a recombination by just being in proximity to each other at some point where they give a part of their nucleic acid sequence or their genetic code to another virus. Now, um, it was thought for a long time that this was not going to be a major mode of transmission, that it wasn't going to happen. And reported on some version of this hybrid of Deltacron in the past. Um, but a lot of epidemiologists are like, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not sure that it really went through recombination. But it actually has been found in a number of countries now, the Deltacron variant. And in fact, it is a mix of Delta and Omicron. Uh, the good news here is that it doesn't seem to be spreading very quickly. It's not the dominant form of COVID in the world. It's not even close. Um, recently, there was a case in Israel. Um, there are a number of cases in Europe. But Omicron was way more prevalent, and it spreads way more quickly. And having had some version of Delta or some version of Omicron would most likely confer some kind of protection against the Deltacron variant. Um, one, of the, one of the things to think about is whether or not these different variants confer um, different amounts of virulence. Like, are they worse in their attack on your immune system? And Delta was a tough one. Delta was a more, it was a nastier bug to deal with than the original and then Omicron comparatively. Uh, we don't know what Deltacron looks like, if it's, if it's wildly virulent or if it's not. And so the jury's still out on that. Um, we also don't know how virulent the BA2 variant is, or if we call it Omicron 2 or whatever we end up calling it. Um, so there's still some of these questions, although it doesn't seem to be in early reports any more than Omicron, the first version was. Uh, there was a time when the different vaccine manufacturers had put research dollars into trying to create Omicron-specific vaccines. And they did use the sequence of Omicron in the mRNA technology, but then when they asked actually tried creating the vaccine, they found that it was no more protective than the regular Pfizer or Moderna vaccines that they had before. And so for what it's worth, the, the Omicron-specific vaccines were not overly effective. You might as well use the old vaccine that they've been you know, creating in mass amounts and have been used all over the globe, um, predominantly here and in Europe. Uh, but uh, the the protection that we have against it is going to be important for preventing hospitalization and death. The question of whether or not we get another dose has now come to the forefront again. So um, very recently, the CEO of Pfizer came out and said, yeah, you're going to need a fourth dose. You're going to need a fourth Pfizer dose. Uh, this is an interesting development. And... Uh, in some ways, it brings on the, oh, man, kind of response. That, like, do I have to get another shot? When do I have to get another shot? I have heard from some government officials on a more local level that they're looking to start suggesting shots, you know, six months after you received your last booster. 
um, to prevent from getting infection, to get those neutralizing antibodies back up. However, to prevent against severe illness, um, you're probably protected as is um, based on what we believe. Um, that being said, there are other folks who are trying to hold out until about a year from when they got their previous shot rather than the six month window to see if they can make this more like a flu shot schedule and it just becomes a normal yearly shots kind of thing where you go ahead and get this. Now, I think eventually we are gonna do it as a yearly shot and it's not gonna hit us like an, oh man, I've gotta do another one because the flu does the same thing. The problem is the spread of COVID seems to be, you know, not, not just in terms of Omicron or whatever variant we're talking about, but the global spread of COVID seems to be hitting us twice as prevalently as the spread of flu does. So we're working on six month cycles instead of year cycles. Um, and I don't know what being vaccinated every six months looks like for, you know, un un until some kind of future is more determined. So I think the jury in this way is still out. We don't entirely know how it's going to look, but we're starting to, um, we're starting to see what an endemic version of this is going to look like because we're going to get used to treating it as a not so severe but constantly um, vigilant response to whatever new variants are springing up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, first thing that comes to mind is is bummer, right? So we have these variants that are that are coming out, and um, you know, it, it, and like I think we've we've talked a lot about. So I'm I, I'm okay with vaccines. So I think that. Um, if, if Pfizer CEO is saying, you know, based on what we're seeing, we could be looking at a fourth shot, you know, smart dude, you know, you know, Pfizer has been able to come out and, and really help a lot of stuff, but it'll be interesting to see what the other companies, uh, when they look at their research and they weigh in on this and, and sort of the, the folks that are in the know from the government space around, you know, it, you know, is this something that, that we need to look into? And I think at least in my world, BA2, there's not a lot of discussion about it. Like we haven't really heard a lot. I think that Deltacron popped up this week as, as sort of a point of discussion, you know, like you said, coming out of Israel. Uh, but yeah, but the Pfizer CEO saying this is this is needed. I, I There's always a degree of skepticism when the pharmaceutical company says you're, you're going to have to take this. So, uh, But I think if the other companies also sort of weigh in and say, yeah, you know, boosters going to be needed, would love to see something rolled into the flu shot schedule because that, that just makes it more convenient. And, and there's a lot of people who are very regimented with it. And on the flip side, you know, you we still are facing some some vaccine hesitancy, um, you know, that it, and some misinformation about it. So, um, you know, we're also going to be working with that community as well. And um, I don't know, it, certainly in our community, with the mask mandates changing and people are starting to kind of bring their shields down a bit. We we still have folks in you know in the food industry and in the retail industry that that are still wearing masks. So um, I'm sure that that a lot of people are like, oh, good grief, another variant, but like you said, when this when this comes back, uh, lives can be lost. Lives can be really impacted by you know by these variants, and so uh, it's definitely something that that you know I I'm certainly going to be keeping an eye on and doing some googling on BA two because it really didn't hit my radar screen this week. Yeah, and it's, it is something to be aware of, and uh, maybe to think about the larger arc of the narrative on this is that um, pay attention to when we've had all of our COVID spikes. Some of it is coincidental that there was you know a mutation that occurred around a certain time, like Omicron was very, very contagious mutation. But a lot of it has to do with times when people are gonna be relaxing the public health measures. So the two holiday periods, the Christmas New Year time, were the two greatest peaks that we had aside from the initial COVID spread in, in the US, at least in 2020. So when you have the holidays is when you're traveling, everybody's getting together, everybody is exposing themselves to lots of other people. That's what causes these peaks. And so if we're doing more massive gatherings and moving our masks more and I mean, and it's happening around the world and understandably, I'm happy to be doing it too. And I've gone out without a mask and I go out with masks. Like it depends on the venue. It depends on who I know is there and all of these, you know, things to think about. Um, but it's, it's going to keep hitting as long as we are going to be interacting with each other in the way that we want to. And, and I think that that's something to keep in mind of how do we get this under control? Um, because yet yeah, some of it's related to mutations. And it's like, oh, man, again. But a lot of it's related to the fact that we're just seeing each other so much more and we're seeing each other in unprotected ways. That's I'm being optimistic, but next week, next week we're going to get good news. Isn't that right, Matt? Use your common sense. Um, take care of yourselves. Pay attention. Um, 
the the world is going through a lot and we have to be responsible citizens as part of that. Uh, that includes listening to our show, <laughs> writing to us, contacting us, um, and as always, continuing to eat brunch and then change the world. Thanks a lot. I didn't know that you were going to wrap the show, otherwise I would have been closer to the mute button. <laughs> I was like, wait, you want to talk to me? Okay, hold on, I'll come back. I'll come I mean, back. I'm looking at it. I'm like, I have to run. I've got to go to band <laughs> practice now in order to get there on time. So. Yeah, well, that's why I was like, I just thought you were just going to wrap it at some point. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like you're, you're bringing in for There's landing. A lot to talk about. <laughs> a lot to talk about. Oh, my God, that was abrupt. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week.